when all the world is quiet Someone came and took her lover's life Spooky and eerie greetings. Thanks for stopping by and listening to Paranormal Prowler's podcast. Those awesome tunes you just heard are courtesy of the one and only Bobby Mackey, and I'm, of course, your host, Tessa Morrow. I have a man of many talents stopping by Paranormal Prowler's podcast this week, Rick McCollum is a paranormal investigator and is part of a phenomenal team called Hollywood Ghost Hunters. Fatality. Where Jason Voorhees and Leatherface are part of the crew. My guest is also a stuntman for Hollywood and has been in horror movies himself, such as Charlie's Farm and Hatchet movies. And he's about to become an author as well. Did I not say this dude is like totally a man of many talents? I mean, he does it all. Rick came recommended by a mutual friend, the awesome David Omen. So big shout out to David, as I always love suggestions and recommendations when it comes to bringing people on the podcast. Now, when I asked Rick if he'd be interested in being on the podcast, he was very friendly and responded rather quickly. We chatted on the phone for a good hour and a half at least. And besides the paranormal, we have another thing in common. You can call me a dirty son of a bitch. Uh, yeah, that's right, folks. We are both huge fans of John Wayne. Now, get ready for a wild ride, folks. (laughs) As we are about to go on a phenomenal adventure with Rick McCollum. Access granted. I am a disgrace. That was better than any show you've ever had. Just that right there. You could have stopped and run with it, but no. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, everybody, I have the lovely Rick McCollum on Paranormal Prowlers podcast, and I am so stoked to have you on, Rick. Thanks for riding those paranormal podcast airwaves with me. Ooh. Well, that's that's an honor. (laughs) Well, I'm... I am super glad to have you on here, my friend. Now, you know, you are quite the world traveler and have been to many places that have forever been on my bucket list. We will talk about some of those places in a little while. But Rick, I want to know what locations are on your old bucket list. I mean, which locations are you just dying, no pun intended, to get into? Well, unfortunately, uh, my bucket list really has just buckets on it, like, my favorite one is the stainless steel gallon and a half from Sears. <laughs> but no, as far as ghost hunting bucket list, uh, number one would be Gettysburg. Yeah. I've never been there. Uh, Nick Groff told me that if he could go anywhere again, it would be there. Uh, Kat Hobson, who has been there, she told me she, she would definitely go back in a heartbeat. So, I mean, lots of people really like Gettysburg, and I think that's something I have to cross off the old bucket list. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's always a place I've wanted to go to as well. And 
one time a couple years back, my mom and I, we were going on a road trip to New York. And on the way back from New York to North Carolina, we saw signs coming up for Gettysburg. And we still had hundreds of miles to go, you know. And so... When we saw that it was only like five miles away, we're like, oh, hell yeah, we're definitely taking this tea doer. And we went and it was only for an hour or so. So I didn't get to investigate or anything, but just being there was phenomenal. And I would definitely love to go back at some time for sure. Well, the part of the Gettysburg that really gets me is the poor woman that was in her own house up on the second floor and a stray bullet went through the wall and killed her. Ugh. Yeah, that would be absolutely heartbreaking. I, I just You're can't even, even imagine. Not even in the war and you get done it. Right, absolutely. And imagine how her family felt. It's like, no way. That Yeah, that's gut-wrenching for sure. Yeah, if, there, if there's a spirit around, it's her. Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I could only imagine the EVPs that, Wait you know. I was doing some sewing and now I'm not here anymore. Well, what's going on? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Not a good ending for her, for sure. Now... No. <laughs> no. Not at all. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Emphatically, no. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, we are here all night. <laughs> Rick, let's take a walk down good old memory lane and take a stop at your very first encounter when it comes to the paranormal. Mm. It's a pretty interesting story, actually. Someone's been reading the book, haven't they? (laughs) (laughs) My my very first uh, one was with my mom. My grandfather had died suddenly. Um, He died from the gun cleaning accident that everybody hears about. Mm. And and we had to take him to Kentucky from Chicago because that's where he wanted to be buried. Now, I didn't really know my grandfather very well. I mean, I'd only known him for like maybe two weeks. And uh, my mom just to be honest, did not have a lot of money. And my grandfather didn't leave any, so she was paying for us to take the train, you know, put him in the ground, you know, everything else. So when we got down there, uh, they took the casket off, and we're looking for a place to stay. And my mom says, well, you know, let's get someplace really close so we can walk back for the funeral. So we went to this one place, and it was kind of creepy looking just from outside. Mm. Uh, It was a two-story place, kind of run down. And we went inside, and my mom says, hi, I'm looking for a room. He goes, well, we only got one left. And she goes, well, I'll take it. And he goes, but I have to tell you, it's haunted. Now, I was 13 at the time, and hearing that, it was like getting a golden ticket to Disneyland. I'm staying in a haunted room, yes! Right? (laughs) Yeah. So, So we go upstairs. It was a very strange room. It was about... 20 feet wide and not so not so thick, you know, maybe 10 by 20. But it was wood floors. It looked almost like a small volleyball court. And it wasn't a real high-class hotel. The two windows that were there had neon right outside, so the neon was coming in. Very, the whole atmosphere was creepy. But the two beds, there was one on each of the far side of the wall, so they were fairly wide apart. And there were roll, rolling beds, you know, they had little rollers on the bottom. Mm. And we'd been traveling all day, and we were tired. And, I mean, we both just crashed out. And all of a sudden, I start to wake up, and I hear my mother scream. Well, in the middle of the night, that's not a good thing in a hotel room. Right. So I look over, and her bed is flying across the room. I mean, 
rolling. It's not flying. It's rolling across the room, but it's going really fast. And all of a sudden, I realize my bed is going towards the middle of the room, and the two beds bash together in the middle of the room. And we just sat there looking at each other. And after you know a short bit, my mother looks at me. She goes, "I guess the guy downstairs is right." <laughs> so my mother was very, very smart person. Very smart. We tried to debunk this, and this is a long time ago. This is over 50 years ago. This is before any of the shows, you know, anybody even knew what debunking was. But right. My mother said, we're going to try this. So we took a glass and put it on its side and tried to see if the floor was warped and it would just roll to the center. Wouldn't do it. So from either direction. So we went, okay, the floor is not warped. Then we said, well, wait a minute. Maybe because they were on rollers, a you know, big truck went by and vibrated and it just rolled. So we went over and I got behind the, one of the beds and shoved it from the wall and it went about four feet total. So there's no way that any natural forces that we could see had caused that. So after that, I mean, I was in. I'm in. Give me my ghost hunter badge. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Line me up. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I was just going to say, little did you guys know that the hotel was on this like unknown invisible hill. And so they always had problems with the beds, like, you know, rolling. So they just say it's haunted. But since you did the, you know, you checked into it, I guess that's not true then. Well, seeing it was in downtown, it was on the flat main street. <laughs> and we tried all this, all, this, all this stuff to figure out. Uh, I'm going to go with no hill, no, no funny stories. Right. No, that is neat, though. And so you only had known your grandfather for two weeks, you said, at that point? Roughly, yeah. Oh, wow. I had never really seen him anywhere. And finally, uh, you know, I went up and we stayed at his apartment for like a week or so. And that was about it. So I, I didn't really, I went down with him one time. He worked at the Federal Reserve. And we went downstairs. He was a security guard. And we went downstairs and there were giant pallets of money. Hmm. And I wanted so much to just stuff my little pockets and run. But <laughs> <laughs> wow. But that's, that, that, that's really pretty much the whole, you know, my whole relationship with my grandfather. So I didn't, I didn't really know him. Right. Well, I think that's kind of neat that even though you didn't know him, before he passed away, you got to spend time with him at least. And that's, you know, at least you have some memories. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah but the one sad thing was he left me something in his will. Why is the that sad? Because he, he left me his pistol. Oh, no. Oh, and, that is sad. And I, and I did not take it. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have either, you know, with the circumstances. Oh, yeah, that's sad for sure. Well, Rick, so... You are actually a part, a huge part, of Hollywood Ghost Hunters. Now, who is in this exactly in your team, and how did it come to be, you guys getting together and doing this? It was kind of accidental, to be honest with you. Um, we have a lot of members, but some of them are like secret members we bring out so they can ghost hunt without getting a lot of publicity, but... Basically, the three that everybody knows from seeing us on Ghost Adventures uh, is myself. I founded the, the thing along with Kane Hodder, and Kane's famous for playing Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, 7, 8, 9, and 10, along with 8 billion other movies. <laughs> and uh, by the way, he has a documentary out called Hell and Back, 
And if you want something that'll, you know, plug at your heartstrings, watch it. Because it's really good. Um, and the other guy that was with us is the played uh, Leatherface in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Or if you ask R.A., you say, R.A., which, which of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres were you in? He'll go, the best one. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> well, the way this happened was we were doing a movie at Mansfield Reformatory in Ohio. Now, that's the place where they shot Shawshank Redemption and some of Air Force One. And it's known to be very haunted. Well, uh, I've known Kane since we did Lone Wolf McQuaid together in 1982. Right? I was born in and, 1982. You've known Kane for as long as I've been born. Yeah, we, we set it up that way, actually. I, I thought so. I mean, that's pretty epic, you guys. Like, history was just made right now. Or back in 82. Yeah, did you hear that Tessa was born today? Yeah. Hey, let's be friends. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and let me guess, the very day that you guys met was October 22nd, on my birthday. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It could have been. It was right around that time. I think so. Um, I think, let's just go with that. It was. But anyway, we, we were there, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Kane is a huge prankster, and so am I. And we were doing, unfortunately, one of the producers of the show also did the Halloween ghost house at, you know, where they'd set up all the dummies and all the scary stuff, you know, the haunted house. Yeah. And, and he told us about that. And we went and found where one of the dummies was. And the thing looked like a really nasty Angus Scrim dummy, <laughs> which was standing up, a vicious look on its face. <laughs> so me and Kate took it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> There's, there's a part where you have to walk through these rooms, you know, this little hallway that's got rooms on each side before you go into the cell block. Well, Kane and I took the one one dummy, we stood it inside. Now, the rooms are all dark, right? There's not any lights back there except the little ones that are in the cell block. So Kane put it in there, you know, right where you can see it as you go by. I said, no, 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 put it back farther so you could just see that something there. And then they have to look in. You know, they have to actually step in to see what it is. Yeah. So anyway, we did that. We started walking back, and uh, Kane goes, I wonder if anybody will see it. And, I mean, we heard, I mean, instantly, you couldn't have done it better if you're filming it for a movie, a girl let out the most blood-curdling scream in history. Oh. <laughs> and we just kept walking, and I said, you know what, Kane? I'm going to have to say yes to somebody finding it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. But anyway, the next night we were filming, and we got done early. So we were, it was like maybe 2 in the morning, and we were all the way back at the end of the cell block. Now, we're walking back, and Kane goes, hey, let's ghost hunt. Okay, now I've been ghost hunting my whole life. I never knew he liked ghost hunting, right? Right. Uh, turns out he used to ghost hunt at it where he grew up in Kwajalein Island out in the Pacific. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, we start walking around. He goes, go up on the other, other deck there, you know, and check some cells. And this is kind of weird. I went in there and I was walking into each room, walking into each room. And, and when I walked into it, felt like somebody grabbed me around the chest and started squeezing. Ooh. Right? But, but I didn't feel like they grabbed me. I just felt the squeezing. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. I like, oh, man, this is hard to breathe. So I hollered down to Ken. I said, hey, there's like pressure on your chest in here. And he goes, well, mark it. We'll send other people up tomorrow. Well, I, I don't have anything to mark it with, so... <laughs> I look up and there's a, a, an X on the inside of the door above the door jam in uh, black Sharpie. 
So I said, huh, okay, that would work. And so I walked to the ones next to it, and there was no Sharpie marks. So I said, okay, then now we know how to identify it. Well, later, we're walking down, and we're all the way at the back, and we've got like 100-yard things of uh, just moonlight and cell blocks. And we're walking along, and I look up, and I see a shadow figure walking down along at the end. Hmm. So I turn around to look at Kane, and he's gone. And I thought, well, isn't this just great? The big, scary Jason guy ran away. But <laughs> 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 so what he had done, I hear running in front of me, and I look, and it's Kane, and he's running towards it. I went, aha, all right, if I'm going to start a group, he's got to be the first dude in it. Right. <laughs> because everybody else I ever ghost hunted with, they were like on tiptoes. And if a bug would burp, they were gone. <laughs> so I didn't want anybody that went backwards. I wanted somebody that would go forwards. And Kane is like the total embodiment of that. So that's that's where the Hollywood Ghost Hunters started. And that is so awesome. I I don't even remember who told me about you guys, but it was a couple of years ago or so. Maybe it was even David Omen. I don't know. But I just remember going, oh, my God, that is like, fantastic a paranormal team that has like all these guys you know that are known in the horror movie business and i think that is just like so awesome so you know out of all the investigations rick that you guys have conducted as a team what is the most to date bizarre thing you guys have encountered well (laughs) Having to look at R.A. in the dark is about as bizarre as you get. Um, <laughs> Kane and I were on an investigation at Old South Pittsburgh Hospital. Now, you have to know Kane is a very big skeptic. Well, we were there with another group, and we were down by the nurse's station. I don't know if you've ever seen Old South Pittsburgh. It's been on some of the other shows. Very, very haunted place. And I saw an orb. And not your dust orb. It yeah. was a lighted ball down at the end of the hall. Hmm. And it was like a kind of a weird blue. And it's just sitting there. And it's going up and down at the end of the hall. And I'm standing there. And there's like 12 of us standing next to the nurse's station. I said, guys, so, I had my camera down there at the exact same place. And I opened up the viewer on the side. I thought somebody was messing with my camera because you could see the light going up and down. So I said, guys, do you see that? And they went, yeah. Right? And I said, somebody's messing with my camera. So we watched it probably for 30 seconds, right? And Kane goes, ah, it's just, you know, power of suggestion. I said, okay, everybody, as soon as you see this move, this thing move, yell which way. And every single person was yelling the same thing, up, down, sideways. And then it went down, and we could see the reflection on the tile, the linoleum floor, you know, like the moon out on the water at night. Yeah. You know, and we're like, what the hell is that? Right? <laughs> I said, uh, so we all, I go to look and I'm looking around and nobody's filming. There's 12 other people there. Nobody's filming. My camera's at the other end of the hall, right? Well, I had a second camera and I went over and I just started powering it up. When I turned around, gone, of course. Um, <laughs> you ever want to get some, you ever want to really see something good? Turn off your camera. Then everything shows up. Right. But anyway, we go down, we pick up my camera, and we look at it, and I run it back, you know, and it never moved. So it wasn't my camera. So as we're walking back, one of the other guys uh, from the other group says, you know what, that couldn't have been your camera anyway. And I said, why not? And he goes, look, 
And as we walked up, it's real dark. There's one of them big plastic uh, recycling dumpsters in the hallway. He goes, you wouldn't have been able to see that. The dumpster's in the way. And I said, well, that blue ball had to be closer than we thought it was. And he goes, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. So we're walking back, and this other group had a uh, camera, you know, wired and set on the ground facing down the hallway, which they didn't get anything because the everybody was in the way, so they didn't get anything. But as we're walking back, I'm, I just happened to be looking right at the camera thinking, gee, I wonder if that got it. And I see it go 90 degrees to the left. And it's not on a tripod or anything. It's just sitting there, and I went, hey, guys, something just moved your camera. They go, no, 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 it'll be fine. I said, I just saw it go to the left. So they scoot down there, and they said, hey, the camera's facing to the left. And I'm like, no, crap. I just told you that twice. Right. I saw it move, right? <laughs> it's not like, oh, it might have moved. I saw it move. You get it? Yeah. So anyway, that that was one of the weird things. And then we go upstairs, and there is a thing. There's no telephones in the whole place, and there. Almost every night at 1.30, this was what they told me anyway, because I have only been there once, I hear an old-time telephone ring up on the second floor, or third floor. But we were up there, and we're all looking around, and all of a sudden you hear, ring, ring, the old-time telephone, right? Yeah. And I looked around, and, I said, and we all went, and we all went through the whole floor and looked, and we found the telephone lines, and they'd all been cut. There's no telephone in there, right? So I'm walking along, and I said, out loud, I said, all right, spirits, that was pretty good, but that's just a telephone, right? That could be a malfunction, could be anything. If you really want to get my attention, do something else, <laughs> right? Yeah. And about maybe 10 to 15 feet in front of me, one of those big steel doors with the bar you pushed open up the inside. Yeah. Went, blam! I mean, slammed as hard as you can imagine. Everybody jumped, and I'm just standing there, and I went, hey! That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So then I turned around and being the investigator part that I am, I turned around and I said, where are the other people in your group? Right? And he says, they're all down in the, in, in the uh, waiting room. I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, positive. I was like, okay, then we can have to write that up as something unusual. But right. that, that place had a lot of, the orb was the thing that really got me. You know, seeing this light moving up and down and all around and everything else is just like saying, we're over here. But now that I think about it, I just thought about this the very this very instant because it wasn't very high off the ground because I had my camera set on a um, box and it was about the same height. Makes me wonder if that might be the girl that they know is in there that plays with the tricycle. Oh, wow. Interesting. I just thought of that right now. I've been... Oh, and by the way, when I got back, I was uh, looking at my film, and while we're standing there, now, we're all on the left side of the nurse's station. There's a big, ta a big desk there, and nobody else is on the other side. Well, as, as uh, I'm looking at the tape, I see a pair of legs, you know, the shadow, go across the wall going from right to left, where there's nobody at. Our shadows could not have made that. We were on the wrong side of the light to make that kind of shadow. So I got that on film, which was was pretty interesting. That is awesome. It is neat with the leg, you know, with the shadow of the legs and that you just thought, you know, with the height and stuff, how you might think it might be that little girl. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. That's, now... That is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this just shows how much I have been reading the book. But, Rick, several years back, you had a dream about 
your mom and talk a bit about it, if you will, because it blew my mind when I heard about it. It was just like, no way. Yeah, it was, it was very strange. My bedroom was, you know, at the end of the end of the house and my mother and grandmother's bedroom, they had the same room, was in the middle of the house. And I was laying there and, you know, sleeping. And I had a dream of somebody aiming a forty-five pistol. All I saw was this hand come in and the gun come in, aiming at my mother while she was in bed, right? Yeah. And I mean, I jerked awake and I sat up and I'm sitting on the, you know, I threw my legs over the side of the bed and I'm just sitting there going, wow. And right then I hear my mother scream. <sighs> so I go I go running down the, down the way. Matter of fact, there was a uh, dog gate set up, which I just kicked down the hallway, just trying to get over there so fast. And I came in there, my mother was sitting up, my grandma was sitting up, and I said, what's the matter? And she goes, oh, I had a terrible dream. I dreamed somebody was going to shoot me with a forty-five. And I was like, boy, me and my mom have a pretty strong bond, if you ask me. Yeah, when I was reading that, it really did blow my mind. I was just like, are you kidding me? That is, like, so intense. And, I mean, I myself had had dreams where they're just, like, so horrible that they kind of just, like, wake you up. And, you are you know, you're just, like, that adrenaline running. But I've never had something like that happen to me. That's eerie, man. Well, here's another one that's that's very eerie. It's also in the book. In my room in Chicago, when we... My mom bought the house because before we lived with my uncle, he lived above us. We lived down, we paid rent, right? Yeah. My mom bought the house, so we moved upstairs, and I had a, a room in the front, and my mom had the loft above me, and my grandma had a big room in the back, so you know we all had rooms. But my room, actually, was a toy room for my uncle and his kids, and I'm, I'm not kidding. When, I'm, when I was laying down, I could put my hands and feet the length of the room. I could reach the entire length of the room. <laughs> and when I stood up, I could I could just about put my hands sideways, the, light, this, the width of the room. So it was very small. And with my dresser in there and my record player down at the end of the bed, there wasn't a whole lot of room for me, right? Yeah. Well, I was sleeping one night and instantly woke up and just froze because I knew someone was standing next to my bed. Absol- absolutely knew it. I had no doubt there was somebody there. And I'm thinking, why would there be somebody there? My mother and grandmother would not come in my room. I, the door had a sliding door. You know, you'd hear it, anybody trying to open. Yeah. So I just sat there, and then it was gone. But, I mean, I was terrified. I really thought someone was there. You know, I could just pick up on the, the, the you know, the energy. Right. And... I had that happen three or four times in the coming month, and there, there's more to the story. Um, my mother was going to the flea market. She asked me if I wanted anything, and I said, yeah, can you get me a huggy pillow, you know, because I got long arms. I need something to wrap my arms around. So she said, okay. So if you've ever met me, this is about as out of place as anything you can imagine. She <laughs> brought me a small red satin pillow, and it was round. Right? I was like, uh, okay, thanks, Mom. Sounds pretty. You know what? It, was a really, it was actually, it was pretty, but it was a really good hugging pillow, but it just wasn't very manly, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, my one friend came over to help me move something in my bedroom, and he looked out, he was making fun of my pillow. <laughs> so, in the meantime, my dad, about a month before, had called me, and he and I had not talked for probably five 
at all. Wow. Right? And finally, you know, I got some stuff off my chest, and uh, he invited me down to Texas Mm. to visit him. So I asked my friend Tom if he wanted to go, because I was going to drive, and it's a long drive. And I figured Tom could drive some and everything else. So we get going, and all of a sudden I find out that Tom doesn't know how to drive a stick, so I end up driving the whole way myself anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, we got there that night, and a very, very scary thing happened. We got there late at night, and one of my dad's uh, salesmen, Wally, it had been his birthday, and he had left his car at the bar. So my dad says, all right, I'm going to take Wally back, you know, and Tom goes, I'll go with you. And I said, man, I am tired, right? Where should I sleep? He goes, go to that bedroom right there. So I go into that bedroom, and it's got a canopy bed, like a lady's bed, right? Yeah. So I go in there, I close the door, and the door's got a slider lock on it, you know, that little slidey thing you lock with yeah and I lay down and I I hear something go <sighs> oh boy so I look around I'm like what the heck was that <laughs> right so I lay back down the moonlight's coming in from the foot of the bed and I'm sitting there and I've just got my eyes open still kind of wondering what that was and I hear it again but louder <sighs> you know because I had just gotten there I'd only been there half an hour I said does he have a dog right yeah the dog's under the bed so I turn on the light, again, I get down on my knees, look at it, nothing in there, I open up the closet, nothing in there, look around the room, wasn't a very big room, nothing there. So I said, okay. I hear it again, right? And I'm like, what's going on? And I look up and I see an air conditioner, you know, the vent. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, the air conditioner's just turning off. And I went, wait a minute, they don't turn off three times. <laughs> yeah. So oh. I'm kind of kind of weirded out. So I sit up, I'm looking out the out the of the bed, you know, so I could get some light in the room, and right behind my right ear, down a little bit lower on my neck, I could feel the heat and the pressure, something went, ah, right on my neck. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> I jumped out of bed, I grabbed the door, and it was dark, and I'm trying to get out and try and get out, and I couldn't get the slider lock, so I just yanked this out as I could, and I broke the door frame, right? Yeah. And I walked out, I was standing out in front, and my dad came home like maybe 10 minutes later we lived on a cul-de-sac and I'm standing out on the on the lawn and he pulls up and he gets out and he looks at me and he goes he got you didn't he I said what do you mean he got me he goes ah. I said you knew about that and he goes happens all the time oh my god wow you know about it. go farther in the book read about what happened in Texas you won't believe it and it's got witness after witness after witness I mean there's the weirdest stuff happened there by far the most haunted place I've ever been to the point that I think it may be the most haunted house in America well and one question you are in Texas did you run into Leatherface no although we scared my my little brother when he came down to visit because we went by this one gas station we said you know that's where Leatherface lived right what no yeah can you pump the gas no I'm not getting out <laughs> I heard that that where they filmed that that you could actually stay there. Like, I don't know where I saw that, and it might not even be true. And maybe I'm just making it up right now. But I could have sworn I saw that people could actually stay the night there at that little like gas station y place. Yeah, well, you know, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based kind of on a true story. I did kind of know, but talk a little bit about that. That is interesting. It's like, 
What exactly? Well, actually, actually, the, it's based off of Ed Dean. Okay. Yeah. The guy who was killing people and making, uh, you know, uh, lamps and everything else. Actually, right. Hannibal Lecter is also based off of Ed Dean. Yeah, I did know that. And yeah. By the way, if, if you see the movie Ed Dean, you might see that the guy that who's the star of it is a member of the Hollywood Ghost Hunters. The lovely and talented and cuddly Kane Hodder plays Ed Dean. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is funny. When it comes to Kane, I am always so used to seeing him being the killer, killing, killing, killing. But in, like, Charlie's Farm, I was expecting him. I was really shocked when I saw that he was not the villain, when he wasn't the bad guy. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, he wasn't the bad guy. Actually, I was kind of the bad guy, if you really get down to it. I was the one who... who killed his his mom charlie's mom when i hit her with the two by four. Oh my god you know and i have that movie i will have to re-watch it it's i it's been a while since i've watched it but i will have to watch it again and i will have to keep an eye out for you that is like that's wild so you were the bad well, when, guy when, you were when, the uh, bill mosley gets shot you know when the townspeople come out to the place they shoot shoot bill mosley and the rest of us go chasing the mother who goes running. Yeah. And we corner her in this little cabin, and, and I pick up a two-by-four, and she turns and looks at me, and I just wallop her one right in the mug. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, yeah, I will definitely have to... <laughs> I'll have to watch that tomorrow, in fact. I will do that, and that's crazy. Now, I know that... Both of us have mentioned it already. You have a, an amazing book that will soon be available for people's reading pleasure. When do you think it will be out? And what was your favorite part of the book? When I was done writing it. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> no, actually, I really liked writing all of it because uh, I got a lot of stuff that I wanted to tell people for a long time in there. Yeah. And... It's not just paranormal. There's other things in there. As I, as I say in the book, I only have one superpower, <laughs> and that's that people are really nice to me. <laughs> and there, I put several cases of that in the book. And, I mean, some people are so nice to me, it's silly. When I was over in Scotland a couple of years ago, I knew, you know, several people that, you know, were the front desk people and who also owned a little inn right next to Roslyn Chapel, yeah. where I stay all the time. So I said, you know, I'm a big shot. I know this whole place. I'm not going to, you know get all my stuff out in advance. I'll just go over and, you know, set up stuff, you know, two, three days in advance. So I had, I think, three or four days stay in, in Edinburgh, and I jumped on the bus and went out to Roslyn to stay at the place I usually stay, and the girl goes, oh, you don't know what's going on. We're totally full. And usually her place is, I, so a lot of times, I'm the only one there, right, which is really cool. It's this old-time cottage here. It's really cool. And it's kind of cool. You look out your window and you see Roslyn Chapel. I mean, how, how cool is that? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, actually I've made friends with most of the townspeople, so, you know, I'm kind of like a citizen there now. The girl tells me, she goes, uh, you don't know what's going on. She says, we're totally full. She says, and I just saw the master list for the hotels. There's not a hotel room to be had between Edinburgh and Glasgow. Wow. And I looked at her and I said, why? It's never like that. She goes, the European Rugby Championship is here. Oh, geez. And I was like, great. I said, do you know anybody else that's got some place? She goes, well, try this this lady, Caroline. And this is also in the book. 
And I'm not trying to sell a book here. I'm just trying to say what you might get to read, which is kind of cool. Anyway, <laughs> I call up Carol, and she goes, oh, no, we're renovating. She says, and all our rooms are booked because of the rugby. And I went, oh, dang it. And she says, what's the matter? And I said, well, you know, I save up all year to be able to come here for, you know, three weeks to a month. I said, and I've been here like three days, and two days from now I'm going to have to get a plane and go home. <laughs> and, and she goes, let me call you back. I said, sure. So she calls me back and she says, I don't know if you would be interested in this, but, but my mom lives over near Rosalind Chapel and she's going to England for two weeks and she said you can use her house. That's I said, awesome. I said, are you kidding? And she goes, no. She goes, I said, well, how much does she want? She goes, oh, don't you dare offer her money. She'll get mad. <laughs> Who loans somebody a house that's never met them? Right. Not many people. Yeah. That's that's for sure. I remember yeah. reading that in the book going, oh, my God, that is like that. That's a rare kind of niceness, you know, and hospitality, because you're right. Like, especially this day and age, nobody I sure wouldn't, you know, have like a random stranger that I've never met before stay in my home, especially if I'm not there. But yeah, that's that's very awesome. You must have like a really like gentle soul and like trusting look to you. Like that guy, that guy Rick right there. Mm-hmm. Niceness. It, it, it's funny. It's funny you say that because a lot of people say that to me. Really? Many many people say stuff like that to me. Yeah. I always get people say, "Do you realize you're an empath?" And I said, "Well, I think that that is that phrase is kicked around a little too easily." I said, but I do feel things very deeply. I said, sometimes I just stay home because I'm just worn out from trying to deal with everything. Right. You know, but it was, matter of fact, Caroline, or Carolyn, the lady that has the end, I make a point of staying with her for a couple of days every time I go back, and I take them out to dinner and all kinds of stuff. But it was funny. I could not remember her name was Caroline or Carolyn, right? Yeah. So finally, so, you know, I, I'm sorry, I forgot you know, if it's Caroline or Carolyn, she goes, it's Carolyn like Marilyn, not Caroline like Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> How cute. <laughs> That's so funny. all through the book, you'll see things where people are just ridiculously nice to me. It's my only superpower. I hope it keeps up. You know, I'd like to be able to fly and beat everybody up at one time, like the other superpowers, but um, <laughs> it's a pretty good one to have. <laughs> I would think so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know it is neat that you've been there so many times. And it was funny because I was actually watching. Um, okay, so Rob Riggle just came out with a new show. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like, it's hilarious because it's like, he's a funny guy anyways. But like, you know, he does this investigating and exploring, but he always is so funny. And being a class clown myself, it cracks me up. But he was at Rosalind Chapel. And it made me think of you. And I was like, that's neat that you've been there before. Like, I've always wanted to go just check out everywhere and around there in the UK and Ireland. And I just, it's one of those things that I'm like, I don't think I'll be able to go before I die, but I want to. <laughs> well, I would suggest you do it before you die because you'll have much more fun. Anyway, you know what people don't know about Roslyn? It's, there's a little village right there. You walk right in right down this thing that's like 200 yards and you go in it's got like a little gift shop and it's got like a little place you could get a snack or you know a sandwich or something and then you go into the into the chapel but what a lot of people don't realize is the grounds are enormous 
Mm. Uh, if you go to, if you go out and you walk down one way, you walk past three old time graveyards. You know, like a like a triangle of them on different corners. Wow. And if you go left, you keep going and walking and walking. You get to uh, Roslyn Castle, which is really pretty cool. It doesn't look like a castle much anymore. I mean, a lot of it's been torn to torn to pieces by the British. Matter of fact, the British used to uh, house their horses in Roslyn Chapel. Hmm. Yeah. Arr. Arr. <laughs> that sounded more piratey. You know, I've walked through that whole thing. I mean, I've walked. The lady's house was eight miles from from uh, Roslyn Village, and I would take a bus over there in the morning, and then, and when I was done bumming around during the day, I would walk home through the forest. Ugh. And there are like all these trails and everything else, and horse horse trails and I mean gorgeous countryside I mean if you ever saw the quiet man that's what it looks like all around there I decided to go another day one day and walk the other direction and I came across a marker that talks about the Battle of Roslyn in 1303 and all these huge fields and everything else I mean really cool looking place so I went back and I did some research on it I found out that there was a battle between 30,000 English and 8,000 Scotsmen in these fields Wow. And almost almost all of the English got killed except for the ones that were really fast. <laughs> I guess so. I guess you had to be really fast to escape that. Wow, that is insane. Well, when you outnumber somebody 30,000 to 8,000 yeah. and you get your hat handed to you. you know? Right. But it was funny. It was one of the first places that William Wallace ever joined the fight with his guys. So. Wow. I decided that I was going to go out there in the middle of the night and go out in the fields, you know, so I walked down there and I found a trail that went back down where I could get in and look at the fields and everything. And as I started to go over this one little hill, there was mud underneath the top cover of dirt, so you couldn't see it. And I hit the mud because it was on an angle. And my left foot flew out from under me and my right foot got caught underneath me. And I landed, my leg closed, and my knee just snapped shut. I landed right on top of it. Ooh. And I've, I've had five knee operations before that, right? So I, as soon as I landed, I said, man, I really messed this up. I messed this up as bad as you can do. And I slid a little down the hill. I had to roll over into the mud to get my leg out from under me. And I sat there probably for like five minutes. You know, my leg was spasming and everything else. And finally I was able to get up, but I couldn't put like just a minuscule amount of weight on my foot. I looked, I said, well, there's no way I'm going back with this leg up that muddy little hill. So I looked, and there was a flat road that was all muddy, because it rains a lot in Scotland. And it was at least a mile away, maybe farther. So I just said, well, I can't go that way, so I go this way. I have no idea where I'm going. But I can see a farm off in the distance. I walked, and I walked, and I walked, and I came to two uh, cattle guard gates, you know, them gates that swing open for the cattle, and I had to climb over them with muddy shoes. Oh, jeez. I destroyed leg. I finally got over both of them. <laughs> and there was a street there, and I started walking down the street. Now I'm limping as bad as a person can limp. And I've got mud all over me, and I'm just waiting for someone to shoot me in the head because they think I'm in the walking dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I see a guy in his window, you know, and he's doing dishes, and I hollered at him. I said, hey, excuse me. And he goes, yeah. And I said, if I keep walking this way, can I get a bus back to Roslyn? Because I was staying at Roslyn, at the Roslyn Inn. And he says, yeah, but it's, you know, you'll have to walk a couple, a little bit. And I said, oh, that's okay. And I said, I walked from back out there through the farm here. 
And he goes, oh, I run this farm. And I said, really? So I talked to him for a minute or something. He goes, well, where did you fall? And I told him, he goes, dude, that's about two and a half miles from here. Oh, geez. He said, you, you walk that far with this leg? I said, well, I didn't really have a choice. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I, I started walking down the thing, and I'm limping and limping and limping and stopping and limping. And I get maybe 100 yards away, and his car pulls up, and he looks at me, and he goes, get in. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. I, I said, I appreciate it, but I'm all muddy, man. I don't want to get your car muddy. And he looks at me, he goes, I work on a farm. Get in. <laughs> right? So I hop in, and the guy drives me back to my hotel. Right? Incredible. And yeah. uh, he actually does a U-turn in the front of the hotel so he can get my door right next to the curb. Mm. Yeah. Well, I have a little hard time getting out of there, and... The lady that runs it, which actually owns it, is a nurse. And some of the other people, they came out and they said, oh, do you need an ambulance? I said, no, I'm just hurt. I'll be okay. But anyway, it was so funny because my name, Rick McCollum, is also the name of the guy who produces Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Okay? And the guy who picked me up was James Cameron. Oh, no James way. Cameron. Get out of here. <laughs> no, not, not the James Cameron. I know. Name, he goes by he goes by Jamie Cameron, right? Wow. And I told one of my friends that, the guy goes, boy, oh boy, if you guys would have got killed in a car crash, he says the science fiction world would have been stunned <laughs> for about 10 minutes. <laughs> That's wild. But I went back last year, and I went out to see uh, Jamie. I walked to his house and knocked on the door, and uh, he came out and I said, Jamie, let's ghost hunt the fields, because he said he wanted to try ghost hunting when he was driving me. Yes. And he goes, why? And I told my family, he goes, yeah, that happened right out here. I said, let's ghost hunt tonight. He says, all right. I said, I'll be back at 1030. Nice. So I came back at 1030. We went out and went all over there, hours and hours and hours. Did not get a blip on any of my equipment, any of the cameras, nothing. As I wrote in the book, I said, now most people would have been disappointed. You know, probably 34,000 people roughly had died in those fields. Yeah. Right? Right. And there was no spirit activity. But this happened in 1303. You know, this is like 800 years ago almost. <laughs> you know, right. what, what would it be? It'd be 717 years ago. So, as I wrote in the book, I said, yeah, most people would be disappointed. But for me, I was happy that they had found their resting place. And I said, rest in peace, gentlemen. So, sometimes you have a good hunt when nothing happens. Right. Absolutely. Well, and you know, both you and I know this where you could go to the same location several times and not one investigation is the same. There's been places I go to where I get tons of evidence and it's very active. And then there's other times where I go and not so much. So you never know. Maybe you and Jamie will have to go back and you might get something. Yeah, I just might. You know, what's really strange. And trust me, a lot of people will back me up on this. I get my name called out almost every place I go. And I mean, you got so many of them on tape. Jill, who ran the Haunted Lockdown at the Pioneer Saloon in a very famous place, put on the back of my book, she goes, Rick gets his name called out every time he comes here, either on the spirit box or where we can actually hear it. And he's been here about a half a dozen times. And when I was with Scottish Paranormal, which I'm a member of, by the way, they put me, maybe a lifetime member, and put me in their Hall of Fame, so I'm excited about that. That's awesome. But everywhere we go, I mean, the one guy finally just says like this, he goes, 
if Rick is there, Spirit is there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and it's so funny because wherever I go, they seem to call me out. wasn't like that when I first started ghost hunting with Kane and them guys. But I, I kind of changed my modus operandi, and it seems to have really made a difference. I was more aggressive when I started. I was ghost hunting. I was going to find them little buggers if it was the last thing I did. Well, I totally had a change of heart. Now I go in there and I introduce myself and I talk to him and I just walk around. I say, hey, you know, I'll give you a for instance of one that was really cool. The Hellfire Club in Dublin, which I also went on right after I hurt my leg. Oh, a year later, which is still not great. Now it's much better, but it'll never be great. Yeah. But uh, it's about a mile and a half up this real steep hill. (laughs) But we get up there. Now, one of my relatives was actually a member of the Hellfire Club, John Wilkes. And John Wilkes was the only member ever thrown out of the Hellfire Club, so I'm pretty sure he was a relative. (laughs) (laughs) And why was he thrown out, Rick? Well, I'll tell you here in the rest of the story. (laughs) Um, We go in there, and one guy has a Frank's box, which is known as the telephone to the dead. Uh, Thomas Edison originally invented it. And one of them, he was talking, and there was a girl, Eileen Murray, standing there, and and Jonathan Garraway was running the box, and nothing was happening. So I walked up, I said, hey guys, can I try? They said, sure. So I just said, hi, my name is Rick, I'm from the United States. I said, uh, one of my relatives, John Wilkes, is supposed to have been a member here, and I just wanted to say hi. Right? So it says a few words like lint or elbow or macaroni or stuff that makes no sense. Right. Right? <laughs> right? And then it goes, relative? And the two people's eyes light up, and I said, yeah, I'm your relative, my name's <laughs> Rick, I just stopped by to say hi. And then... Maybe 10 seconds later, it goes, hi, Rick. And I mean, they freak out, right? Yeah. So we're sitting there, and I said, okay, now that I've got you here, let me see if you're really my relative. Did you really dress a baboon up like Satan and turn him loose in the club? (laughs) Right? And it says a couple words, and then it said, clear as a bell, baboon. And I mean, mean, their eyes were like saucers. And I looked over, I said, you got all that on tape, right? And they said, no, we weren't taping. (laughs) Oh, my God. It is like the most stunning reactions I've ever had in my life. And right. You guys are a world-famous ghost-setting group, and you weren't taping the <laughs> Frank's box? Oh. But I did it again. Wow. I did it again, though. I walked up and started talking to it and started talking to me again. And then I was with another guy there at the, at the uh, thing. I walked into a room, and he was getting some results, and he was talking. And it goes, Rick? And I looked around, and I looked at him, and I said, Who is that? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, wherever I go, that happens. And that's awesome. I have to say that I've had that happen too, where I'll go somewhere and my name is caught in EVP, like Tessa. And it's just, it's really neat. It's a neat feeling to have like, okay, they know me. <laughs> they know that I'm here. It's like, it's, it's neat. But I, I mean, that is a shame oh. that Baboon wasn't recorded. That is like, epic shit right there <laughs> I know I mean it, you couldn't get it you couldn't ask for any better oh my but, god you know in your case though when they talk out your name you know it could be of all the other Tessas that are with you <laughs> <laughs> I, yes you know it is interesting because my team all of our name is Tessa and I'm totally kidding right now <laughs> I've only ever met in, in my 800 years of existence <laughs> another Tessa besides you and she lived next door to my mom in Chicago 
That's crazy. I know that's that's one of the first things he told me when we first talked. And it's crazy because I I knew only one Tessa and we were both kids in school and we'd see each other. We weren't friends. We were just kind of like acquaintances. We'd go, hi, Tessa. Hi, Tessa. And that was it. And that is as far as it goes. But it's like people, you think people have never heard the name before. I've been called Teresa. I've been called Tesla. I've been called everything. And I'm like, you know, at this point, I just answer to whatever. You could call me anything in the book and I'll I'll say yes. Can I help you? <laughs> well, by the way, you do realize if you would have married Nikola uh, Tesla, you would be Tessa Tesla. Hey, that's true. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> People would think you were stuttering. <laughs> like, today, Junior? It's like, do you not know how to say your name? <laughs> Tessa, Tesla. Say that ten times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can barely <laughs> say hello ten times. Oh, man, I tell you. So, <sighs> Rick. Well, I have a question for you. Okay. Did you get to the part in the book where I got my Great Dane? I did, yes. I, I did, absolutely. And that was wild how he basically protect he saved you well that was after i got him the oh yes how i got him is one of the coolest things ever and i mean yeah i've never had a connection to an animal like i had to this gigantic great dane and uh i, I, I want to tell the people because it's kind of cool yeah uh, down in texas uh, i was staying with my dad and i asked him i said hey why don't we get a great dane because we we had a great dane when i was a kid hmm and this is before I ended up being allergic to dogs, which really, really sucks. Donkey what? Boobs, and you can't right? take a pill yeah. or anything? Nope. Oh. allergic to dogs and cats. He said, yeah. So I called up this one place. I could only find one place that had Great Danes, and it was a dog breeder about 30 miles away. And she told me, now this was 1979. I said, well, how much are they? And she goes, well, they started $500. <laughs> Gulp. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 1979, that's a lot of money. That's crazy, yeah. Well, my dad at times had a lot of money. Other times, he owed a lot of money. <laughs> um, <laughs> this happened to be one of the times he had money. So I told him about it, and he goes, yeah, let's go take a look, right? Yeah. So off we go, and she's bringing these dogs out, one after another, and they come out, they stare off into the distance like Brad Pitt in a movie, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh. That's not what I want. I want a dog. You know, something I can wrestle with and throw frisbees to. And, you know, finally she goes, well, that's about it. So being the smart guy that I am, she said, about. I said, oh, so you have another one. Where's he? And she goes, oh, well, I do have another one, but I don't want to bring him out. And I said, well, why not? And she goes, well, he's vicious. He hates all the other dogs. He hates people. And uh, I, I don't want to bring him out. I said, no, bring him out. Let's see him. She goes, no, I really don't want to. I said, no, please bring him out. Yeah. So she brings him out, and he's got a muzzle off. And this dog is enormous. Right? He's gigantic. It was funny. When he stood next to me, his head came up to about my rib cage. Jeez. And I'm, six, and I'm like six foot four, so he was no little dog right. at all. Anyway, he comes out, and he's got a muzzle off. And he comes up, and he, she stops him about eight feet from me, and I'm looking at him. And I looked him right in the eyes, and something just went click, right? Yeah. And I looked over. I kneeled down on, on my knee, right? I don't know. First, I said, uh, take the muzzle off. And she goes, oh, I don't want to do that. I said, look, I absolve you of all blame if he eats my face. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she, I'm telling you, he's, he's vicious. 
And I said, please, take, take the thing off. She goes, okay. So she takes the thing off, and he's about now, because I, then I kneel down, so he's about six feet away. And I looked at her and I went, what's his name? She goes, Tubby. And I went, Tubby, come here. And I patted my, my chest. And he just looked at me. <laughs> and I patted my chest. And I went, Tubby, come here. And he walked up right to me, face to face. I mean, his face, his nose was like almost on my nose. And I swear to God, this dog took another step forward and put his head on my shoulder like he was hugging me. <laughs> so I just reached up started petting his ears and his neck and everything else and I said sit and he instantly sat down right and I was petting his neck and everything else he just sat there and looked happy as a clam and I looked at her I said miss this dog isn't vicious and she's got this stunned look on her face yeah and she goes she goes I have never seen anything like that in my life she goes this, this dog has bitten everybody that's come near him fights with all the other dogs I said, well, he's not vicious to me. I said, you know what? I would really like him, right? Yeah. And she looks at me, she goes, she goes, you can have him. I said, well, how much? And she goes, no, you can have him. She goes, I've bred dogs for 25 years. I've never seen a connection like that. Mm-hmm. Right? So she gave him to me, right? Yeah. And we got in the car. I got in the back seat with him. And he, he leaned on me the whole way home. <laughs> Everywhere I went after that, that dog followed me. I mean, he... You know, he and I were connected. It was so cool. But now the rest of the story, which is part of the paranormal. I'm sitting cross-legged on the floor one, one night watching TV. And Tubby's laying probably 8 to 10 feet away from me sleeping. And I'm just sitting there watching him. Nobody else in the house. And all of a sudden, his head snaps up. And he rolls over, on, you know, so he's on his stomach looking. Right? Yeah. And he looked kind of like stinks. You know, when he's sitting there and he's looking... And all of a sudden, this growl came out of him, which sounds like when your voice goes deep. Right? Yeah, it was like that. But I mean, it was, it was like, and I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah. Right? And he's staring right at me. And I'm like, Tubby, it's me. It's me. And I figured he's going into vicious mode. Yeah. Tubby. I'm going, Tubby, it's me. It's okay. And he's just, it was so weird. I saw his ears flatten, right? Yeah, and that dog looked as much like a tiger as it could. He got up into a crouch, and he was vibrating. He was so angry, Ooh. and his ears were fat, and his teeth came out. He's going, Burr. and I'm like, "Holy crap! I'm going to have to punch it out with this giant dog who wants to kill me!" Right, right. And I'm looking at him, and all of a sudden, I realize he's not looking at me. He's looking right behind me, Ooh. and. I mean, I freak. I figured there's a burglar, right? Yeah. And I go, Tubby, right? And I went, get him! And that dog was like a tan blur. He just went by me so fast. And I jumped to my feet to go duke it out with him. You know, him and I against whoever's back there. Yeah. We'd win. <laughs> and I looked up, and if you can visualize this, he was up on his back legs, and he was hopping off his back legs. And his front legs were just flailing away at the air, and he was biting and growling. He just, I mean, just, I could see where the lady knew he was vicious, because he was scarier than hell. And all of a sudden, he stopped, and he was facing away from me, back, you know, behind him. And he's looking down the hallway, and you can see his head move back and forth. And then his head turns around, and he looks at me, and he's all calm, like, we're good. Incredible. So, 
I have no idea what he saw, but I have never seen a change in an animal like that in my life. It was terrifying, but it was so gratifying to know that my buddy was over there punching it out on my behalf. Right. He literally had your back. He definitely had your back. And yeah, I remember reading that and just going incredible. I, I think the whole thing with that dog was incredible from, you know, the introduction to, to him jumping literally into action, you know, that's, it was wild. But I mean, it, and then after he did that, then I was like, what the hell did he see? Right. You know? Yeah, makes you wonder, absolutely. Animals are just so phenomenal and in tune when it comes to that thing, when, you know, the supernatural and paranormal. And, yeah, there's times where nothing intense like that, but my cat will be on me and she'll be looking past me. It's like she'll even be sleeping and all of a sudden she'll wake up and sit there and she'll just, like, look past me. And, you know, it's just like, what are your eyes seeing? If, like, you could just speak and tell me what's going on, you know? It's just something's there. Something has your attention. And I look, there's not... You know, wind moving a branch, there's not a bird there, there's not anything there, but there is something there, clearly. Well, just imagine if you, your dog or your cat could talk, and you say, what's the matter? And looked at you and went, run. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> now, that would be a trip. I, would, I think I would become part of the animal kingdom, and off we would go, <laughs> running together. <laughs> I know, right? Seriously. Um, now, you know, in the future, Rick, I would really like to get together sometime and do a bonus episode about your experiences with horror movies. But there's one question that I can't wait till then. And I have to ask now, how does it feel to watch yourself get murdered on the big screen? It's different. <laughs> For those, of, those who don't know, Kane was playing... In Hatchet 2, Kane was playing Victor Crowley, who's this deformed, demented, psychotic killer that's actually supernatural uh, because of a curse. And I play one of the hunters that's out to kill him. And there's only two of us that are actually hunters. R.A. is a hunter, and I am a hunter. And everybody else is out there for the bounty. Right? Right. So nobody else really knows what, what they're doing. <laughs> well, we're, we're out there, and Colton Dunn, he's the guy who was the chicken and biscuits guy. Yeah. <laughs> that was singing the chicken and biscuits he he and i were partners never say a word in the movie and he does all the talking the only time i ever turn around is i turn and look after the chainsaw starts up in the you know in the woods i turn around and look at him and i mouth the words wtf what is that right? wait wait what does wtf mean what the what the what well we'll leave the rest of that for <laughs> i don't i don't use that word in front of ladies you know but it has something to do with having shall we say. Um, Rick, wait, I just need to say, okay, you guys, before we started recording, he was saying how he doesn't curse in front of ladies because I told him that he totally can on the podcast. And he said, I don't curse in front of ladies. And in my monster voice, I said, I'm no lady. And so I was wanting you to say, what the fuck? So I could say, I thought you didn't curse in front of ladies. <laughs> <laughs> There's more to the story about Hatchet than, I mean, it's actually a really funny story. I was the assistant, assistant stunt coordinator. So I told Colton, because in this scene, he comes out with an eight-foot-long chainsaw blade on the chainsaw. And he comes out, and I'm shooting with a shotgun. 
and Colton is shooting the air and trees and everything else because he's terrified. And he runs and hides behind me. Well, Kane <laughs> comes up and takes my gun jammed, and I'm trying to unjam it. He comes up and he takes the chainsaw blade, sticks it between my legs, and because Colton's hiding behind me, it goes between his legs. <laughs> and Kane lifts it both up in the air and chainsaws us through the crotch, uh, all the way up through the body, so that right up through the head, and we split in half and fall off to the side. But there's two parts of this story. The first one is I went up to Colton. I said, Colton, we're doing that thing tomorrow. Bring a cup. And he goes, well, I really need one. I said, look, I'm going to tell you something about working with Kane. Kane is like Tina Turner. And he goes, what do you mean? What does that mean? I said, he doesn't do anything nice and easy. <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay. So I just happened to be out in a sporting goods store looking for something, and I saw a cup and a supporter on there. I said, I'm, I'm buying this just in case he forgets. <laughs> so I buy it, and I've got it in my stunt bag, and I said, Colton, do you have a cup? And he goes, oh, I forgot. I said, here, I bought you one. And I gave it to him. <laughs> well, anyway, we go out there, and Kane comes in and just slams us, right? Lifts, lifts us up, and the whole time we're up there, we're bouncing on the chainsaw, yeah, boom, 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 you know, because we're artists, and they're, you know, boom, boom, boom. So everything is in your personal area where you're getting walloped with this thing. <laughs> and finally, we get done with that. Now, to answer your question, I know it only took a while. When we, I went to the Egyptian theater where Adam Green, who was the director, uh, was having the premiere. The Egyptian's a very famous theater down on down on Hollywood. I think it might be Hollywood Boulevard or Sunset Boulevard, but very famous. Matter of fact, I've ghost hunted that place. <laughs> anyway, uh, but back to, the, back to the story. I go upstairs and I'm sitting up in, in you know the balcony and the movie comes on and people are watching and all of a sudden they realize that I'm in the movie. Right? Yeah. Because you see me all the time. So I see people starting to glance over there. Well, <laughs> They put something into the movie that I didn't know was going to be in the movie. When I get hit in the, let's just say it for everybody, get hit in the balls with the <laughs> chainsaw, I'm in front, so you see mostly me. Yeah. The chain, all of a sudden you see the blood flying, and then all of a sudden you see these two, two round things that look like they're on rubber bands almost, <laughs> dropping the sides of the chainsaw. And my eyes got like saucers, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Adam Green put it in a post-production. And I, I look over there and I'm like, oh, no. And the people, when they see these things drop, go ballistic. They start screaming. Well, it goes a little farther and then they drop off onto the ground. And I mean, the place started just howling. And everybody's looking at me and I thought, eh, okay, I'm going to be the guy that got his balls cut off. <laughs> but actually, I was really happy with it because it came out really good. You know, and everybody really like the scene. Uh, matter of fact, I saw in one of the horror magazines that they said it might be one of the top five kills in horror movies. So That is awesome. That's no easy feat. No, it's not. Yeah, no, so, I mean... Here's the, here's, the la here's the last part of the thing. Colton comes up to me after we're done shooting, you know, the day with the chainsaw. Yeah. And they sprayed us with so much blood. They put a blood cannon right in front of me and one underneath Colton. And just at least a gallon apiece, just boom, just blasted <laughs> us with this blood over and over. Because you see all the blood spraying everywhere. Oh, yeah, well, it was bloody. I, took, I, I had blood, so much blood on me. I went into the studio there. They had a uh, shower, and I got in there, and you can't get movie blood off with soap. It won't come off. you got to use Barbasol 
shaving cream. When I took off my clothes, I'm not kidding, every single part of my body, out of my shoes, everywhere, everywhere was covered in blood. <laughs> I mean, everywhere. So I rinsed and I rinsed and I scrubbed and I scrubbed. But when I got out, Colton comes up to me and he goes, hey man, I've got that cup in the other room for you. I said, oh no, no, it's a gift. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> I used cup, somebody just blood all over it. No, that, it's good, gift for me. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, funny, he wanted he to give it back. <laughs> but, it, but it was funny, right after, you know, we did the scene, he looks at me and he just throws his arm around my shoulder. He goes, thank you, brother. <laughs> making him wear the cup. He right. Goes, That's hilarious. no idea what was coming. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Yeah, you guys, if you haven't seen Hatchet, um, any of the Hatchets, but Hatchet 2 is the one that Rick is talking about. And that, it's a good one. And the the main gal, she's the little girl in Halloween. Am I correct? She is indeed. Okay. Yeah, I thought so. With us, by the way. That's awesome. That's awesome. I loved her in Halloween. She's she was great. So as soon as I saw her, I was like, I think that's her. (laughs) Well, did you see the first one? I've seen all the Halloweens. Yeah. No, I mean the first hatchet. Oh no! You know what? I tried to, but it wouldn't let me. It, none of them were on Netflix and Amazon Prime. I was trying to watch it, and it, it said it was there, but it wouldn't let me watch it. So I, I kind of, I didn't watch the first one. I went into it kind of blind and watched the second one. But I need to watch the first one eventually. Well, I'm in the first one too because I doubled Kane in, Kane in a couple of spots. There's a scene at the start. And I usually don't tell anybody, but Adam Green just did it on the uh, Vimeo thing that he did on the other day, and he was talking about it. There's a scene where Victor Crowley, Kane plays Victor Crowley, and he plays Victor Crowley's dad in the movie. Yeah. Well, Victor Crowley is just, he's not normal, let's put it that way. And they lived in this little shack, and these three kids, it was Halloween night, are throwing firecrackers at at the shack. Well... It catches on fire, and Kane comes home, and he sees it, and you see, you know, inside, Victor's running back and forth because he's scared, he doesn't know what to do, and he hears his dad come up, and he hears his dad kicking at the door, so he puts his head up there to look, try and look through the crack, and Kane tries to break the door open with an axe, and it hits Victor Crowley right in the face. That's where the axe mark comes on its face, right? Yeah. And Victor just just falls back and the hatchet it's actually a hatchet the hatchet is stuck in his face and then he falls over dead right yeah but if you find, follow the thing he don't die that easy right, <laughs> right? He's coming back. but I was actually Victor in that thing because as good of an actor and stuntman as Kane is he can't be in two places at one time so I was actually the one who took the hatchet to the bug Oh, interesting. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah, I will have to watch that. I don't like doing that. I don't like, you know, not going in order of movies, but I was like, I have to watch this and eventually I'll just I'll I'll have to watch the first one, but had to watch it for sure. And you know, Rick, speaking of movies, real quick, you this okay, when I read this in your book, it really chilled me to the bone. You had an eerie experience during the filming of one of the hilarious Naked Gun movies. And 
talk a little bit about that because that has to do with somebody that the whole world knows about now. O.J. Simpson. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for a minute there, when you said paranormal, I didn't know what you're talking about. Then, oh yeah, I was in a scene. Matter of fact, it, when you watch Naked Gun 33, you'll see me walking down the stairs as a gangster, and and uh, O.J. is staring at me as he's going by with a baby carriage. Right. Yeah. Well. One of my friends, a director friend of mine, who has had me in a zillion movies as a stunt coordinator, and he's also, he did a movie called Dark Wolf, where I played Dark Wolf, and Kane was in it also, and, you know, we, we did a lot of stuff together. But anyway, he was a fan of O.J. Now, this is all before all this stuff happened. Right. Well, he says, hey, you know, if you get a chance, talk to O.J. I want to see what he's like. It's all right if it comes up. So we were filming down at the uh, train station, and this one guy comes up and he goes, hey, man, you're a part of the movie, right? And I said, yeah. Otherwise, I'm just a gangster hanging out here. <laughs> you know, he goes, can you tell O.J. that so-and-so stopped by? I said, yeah, if I get a chance, I sure will. Right? So I look over and by the uh, table where they keep all the food, you know, the snacks and stuff like that, craft service, they call it, if you know movie lingo. Hmm. O.J.'s over there. So I walked up and said, hey, O.J., I'm sorry to bother you. I'm playing one of the guys. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're real nice. Right? Yeah. I said, somebody asked me to tell you that so-and-so stopped by. And he goes, oh, okay. So another person comes up, and we all start talking. And I'm looking at him, and he's smiling, and he's giddy, and I swear it was the weirdest thing that's ever happened. I could physically, you know, in your mind's eye, you see something, but it's not actually there, but you're seeing it? Yes. I, I could see in his chest what looked like lava moving around. You know, bubbles and swirls and stuff, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at him, and he's smiling, and I'm looking at the thing, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, boy, this is not good. Yeah. You know, this is not good at all. So I got home that night, and I told my friend Richard about it. And it's in the book. He even says, yeah, I remember Rick telling me about that long before anything happened with OJ. So Eerie. Super, funny. super eerie. I even, I even told Richard that night, I said, Richard, there's something wrong with that guy, and there's something, I mean, really driving him, I said, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's not good, whatever it is. And the first thing I heard about that, Richard called me the night of night Nicole and uh, Ron got killed. Yeah. And he says to me, he goes, I guess we know what OJ was uh, upset about. And I said, yeah, got a pretty good idea, that was probably it. Yeah, that's... I've never seen anything. I've never seen anything like that again, just that one time, so I don't... I think, uh, I don't know if I just saw something that might be indicative of another thing, and I don't want to say what it is, because I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to peg anybody with, like, any of that stuff, but, you know, when you see fire and brimstone, you know, you kind of get an idea it might not be the side that you're on. Right. Yeah, I remember when I was reading that part in the book, and my mouth dropped, and I was like, oh, no way. And so... You guys, when Rick's book finally is published and released, I will let you guys know on here so you could go check it out because it's definitely worth reading, jam-packed with phenomenal things, just really, really cool. But yeah, eerie things like that, like, uh, okay, O.J. Simpson. And this was like, what, how many years do you think before the murders happened? Well, it wasn't years. It was shortly after that. I mean, just a matter of months. Oh, my God. Very, very eerie. <laughs> by, by, by the way, if you get to the last chapter, you're going to see eerie in, in spades about what happened at Lep Castle. Unbelievable. I mean, it's 
unbelievable. Happened to me, and I'm not sure I can believe it. Yeah, Lep Castle's what? on my list of places to go to. We'll have to keep Lep Castle a secret for people. You have to get the book. Unless you want to share it, you can. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I want them... Actually, I want them to buy the book because a lot of stuff I do with the t-shirts and everything else, I donate to St. Jude. So, um, That's awesome. I love that. That's great. Yeah, how can you not? Right? <laughs> I, how can you not like them poor little kids? I know. I know. Seriously. And I, I, I usually end up donating more than comes in. Trust me. Oh, I bet. You know, Rick, you've conducted investigations at... An impressive amount of places, one being Dracula's Castle. I mean, dude, I need to hear more about this. What were your thoughts, when your first thoughts well, and impression when you saw this place with your own eyes? I mean... Well, that's, that's going to be a bald-faced lie that I didn't mean to tell. June 8th of this year, I was going with Scottish Paranormal to investigate Dracula's Castle, Dracula's Resting Place, and something else with Dracula. We're going to be there for three days and getting to do all this. And I wanted to say, because I knew the book would be coming out around then, I thought, well, that'd be cool to say I'd been to Dracula's castle. Well, the coronavirus killed it. They right. canceled it. So I haven't been there yet. Yet. But I will be there. That's but I right. I will get there. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and that's a big one. I mean, I have faith and I know that you will go to Dracula's castle at some point. And when you do... I want to hear all about it. I mean, I want to be literally the first person that hears about it. Like, like, okay, this just happened seconds earlier. I'm calling Tessa right now. <laughs> well, you are a pushy little thing, aren't you? <laughs> I sure am, Rick. Stop it. <laughs> you're, you're scared old Rick, and I got a bad heart. Oh, okay, I'll stop that. I don't want to don't want to scare you too much. But, you know, I know that you've been to one of my favorite places on earth. We talked a little bit about it just like on the phone, and that's Tombstone. I really do love that whole little town, that whole area. You investigated the amazing bird cage, and I don't know about you, but when I went there, it was like unseen forces kept pulling me back to the Mariah. It was just so phenomenal. Is there anything that, like, really memorable that happened to you there, the birdcage? Not so much. I mean, it was mostly energy. And then I kind of wonder. I had nine pieces of equipment set up all around there. There were only three of us there. There was me, the man who owns the place, and one of his guides, you know, that, that gives the tours. But I was just having, I could go wherever I wanted to and everything else. Yeah. Well, I had charged up all my stuff, put all brand new batteries and within 45 minutes, every single piece of equipment I had was dead. Oh. I was walking down the stairs to go down where they had the world's longest poker tournament and where the hookers used to be. Yeah. And I don't know if I just missed the last step, which is possible, because I... But, I mean, I went and I fell forward, and I could see something in the dark. I mean, there was enough light to see shapes and stuff. I put my hand in front of my face and, and bounced off a glass cabinet. <laughs> so, but I don't know if I got pushed or not. I went real fast. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to write it off to the uh, missing a step, you know, in right. the dark. 
because uh, I have actually really been pushed on the steps where other people saw it, and that was kind of creepy. Yeah, I would say so. We did see the uh, thing where the stuff moves above the old-time stagecoach. Or I think it actually it's not a stagecoach. I think it's an old-time funeral thing. Are you talking about funeral the Mariah? Thing. The Mariah, the, the hearse? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about. That's what I kept, like, being drawn to go to, and I spent much of my time there. But, yeah, I think if I remember correctly, isn't it the table that they would perform, like, autopsies on that is up above, hanging up above that? Yeah, there's something like that up there. But whatever it was, it started moving while we were watching. Me and Billy Tunney were just sitting there, and he goes, I look up, I said, what is that? He goes, he's back. I said, that happens all the time? He goes, yeah, we get that a lot. Well, that's bizarre and then it stopped instantly when we started noticing it was there yeah that's neat because when I was there I ran into this woman named Darba and she is like a really sweet sweet gal and she was telling me she works there she's been there for a long time and she was like yeah this table moves all the time this like hanging table and sometimes it's like you know sometimes it's very like just very lightly where you have to be staring but a lot of the times it just goes wildly like waves wildly where it's very obvious and stuff mine was was medium it wasn't it wasn't ridiculous but it was yeah moving enough to know that it wasn't the wind or anything else i just love it there i i am going back there i'm not sure when but i have a hunt that i want to do most people don't realize that most of the gunfight of the OK Corral wasn't in the OK Corral. It was actually on the street outside the OK Corral is where at least one of them died. And I think it was actually two of them died out on that street. So what I want to do is I want to get out there like two in the morning with some equipment, thermal imager and infrared camera and, you know, get some audio, some, some video and see what I can snag out there all by myself. Although I do have a friend down there named Josh Hawley who wrote the book about Tombstone Ghost Hunting. Really? So, and he's actually one of the reenactors at, uh, at OK Corral. No, oh, that's really cool. That's, that's neat. And can you imagine just being there and conducting an investigation? And, I mean, Billy Clanton, Frank McLarry, you know, Tom McLarry. That would be really cool to see if any of those guys came through. And it, did you, I'm sure you went, but did you go to Boot Hill and visit their, you know, their gravesite? Oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was really intense being over there. I really loved Boot Hill. Boot Hill. That's Ooh. a song, by the way. You have a lovely you voice. Keep singing. By, by the way, I sing. So I noticed. I noticed. Keep singing. I like it. How does it go? Boot Hill. That's it. That's all it does. It just goes over and over again. And that's that's what they're playing when they're, you know, running the camera across so you can see Boo Hill. Oh, interesting. It was on, so it was, on, it was on some old uh, TV show all the time. Okay, so I think the people want to hear, hear us real quick. So, Boo Hill. Yeah, you, you go. What? <laughs> when I sing it... When I sing, it sounds like somebody's torturing a cat. <laughs> it's, it's just not nice. It's not good. <laughs> Although I have to tell you, I cannot sing and I cannot dance. But I have <laughs> sung in a movie and I have danced in a movie. <laughs> Both times I did, I got killed. <laughs> oh. 
Well, I'm not really willing to risk it at this point. Oh. <laughs> like, this guy is horrible. He can't sing. Let's kill him off. So we can't. Well, the reason they, they they got me for singing and dancing is it was supposed to be somebody that couldn't sing or dance. So I mean, I was I was the guy. I mean, <laughs> you know, talk about going to the right guy for no singing and no dancing. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, the movie, actually, you know who Allison Brie is, the actress. She's pretty well known from Community and a couple other shows she was on. But uh, in in uh, this movie Born, I'm playing a trucker who's trying to get home who's tired. So I'm trying to sing to myself to stay awake. And she's using, like, devilish powers to get me to drive off the road. And I hit a telephone pole and my head goes through the front window. And she comes walking over and I stumble out of the truck and fall on the ground. And there's a uh, power line right in front of me. And she walks over and picks it up. And she grabs my hair and she goes, hello, stranger, and stuffs the power line in my mouth. Ouch! Go, smoke comes off me and stuff, and then she lets me drop. Boom! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, evidently my singing was really bad that they would want to do that to me. Actually, after she does that, she kicks my body over, which really hurt. Uh, <laughs> Cuts off my head and puts it in a bag. Cuts out my heart and puts it in the bag. So I went up to Richard, who was the director. I said, Richard, Allison smashed my head through a window with the car, with the truck. Electrocuted me. Cut off my head and cut out my heart. So I got a question. He goes, what is it? I said, I'm not in the sequel, am I? (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at me for a second. He goes, it's a horror movie. You can come back. Right? <laughs> so later on in the movie, I do come back. Actually, all the people she's killed, she's doing the killing these people in the shape of a pentagram. And she's killing each person, like, off of these cards, and one had to be a stranger. And that's why she says to me when she kills me, hello, stranger. And all of our heads are on the ground yelling at her as she's torturing this one guy. And what's that movie called, Born? Born, B-O-R-N. Okay, I'll have to check that out. I've never seen that. That that sounds like a, a pretty good one. So, well, you have to remember that I've been in some movies that were so bad they went straight to audio. Yeah, well, we've all been there. I've done movies, too, that are just, like, absolutely horrendous. <laughs> See, now, I, didn't say which, I, I didn't say it went straight to video. It went straight to audio. So, there's no picture to it. They just let you hear the sound. <laughs> Oh my goodness, Rick, that's hilarious. Well, again, you're going to have to be back on again because I really enjoyed chatting with you. But before we end this shindig, how can people find you on social media who want to hear more about your your movie adventures and paranormal adventures? Well, they can go to Hollywood Ghost Hunters on Facebook or Rick McCollum on Facebook. And I pretty much answer everything, so that's where I'll be. Woohoo! That's what I say. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, Rick, thank you so much for being on. I really do appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Oh, that was fantastic. I like it. <laughs> Stop it. You're turning me on. Okay, what a goof that guy is. And it's so funny because when we first started talking, 
One thing we found out about each other, we're both class clowns. We're both just like, you know, funny, goofy people. So it was really great. (laughs) Neat guy for sure. And please be sure to check out some of his movies. I, for one, just watched Hatchet 2 today and it was awesome. And he has done stunt work and acted and again, just a man of many, many talents. This week's city shout-outs go to... Enterprise, Alabama, Des Moines, Iowa, Northampton, Massachusetts, Edogawa City, Japan, and Patna, India. Thank you so much for listening, guys and gals. It's neat knowing people from all over the globe are tuning in. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Be sure to listen to the others, you guys. They are equally awesome. Maybe not as funny, (laughs) but they're awesome. Haven't heard every single episode yet? No! Oh my god, no need to cry, my ghouls. You can binge listen now. Just go to any podcast platform, such as Deezer, Google Podcast, iTunes... Apple Podcast, Pocket Cast, basically you guys, wherever you venture to, to listen to your other kick-ass podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Brawlers Podcast. Do you have a spooky story to share or know somebody who does? I would love to hear about it. Throw it my way at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. See you next week.